Welcome to the You Are Not So Smart Podcast, episode 127. Yes, welcome to the You Are Not So Smart Podcast. In this episode, we sit down with my friend and one of my favorite journalists, author Will Storr, whose new book just hit the shelves here in the United States. It's called Selfie, How We Became So Self-Obsessed and What It Is Doing to Us. The book explores what he calls the age of perfectionism, our modern struggle with our many modern pressures to meet newly emerging ideals and standards that tell us if we're falling short of the person we ought to be. And, as he says in the book, perfectionism is the idea that kills. And you'll hear what he means by that in the interview. In the book, Will embarks on two investigative journeys. The first is an examination of the self as a psychological mechanism. And he digs deep into what science has to say about where our concept of the self originated and how it operates so that he can understand how perfectionism causes that mechanism to malfunction. The second is how the cultural concept of self originated and then evolved over millennia. The very concept of a self has changed many times, as have the pressures that concept has endured. And depending on where you live today, that lineage of your culture's ideas of the self strongly differs from that of people who live elsewhere, surrounded by different cultural norms and expectations that change what it means to be a fully realized and unique individual. As he writes, it is the self that wants to become perfect, and it's our culture that tells us what perfect actually is. It's a great book. I hope you check it out. And for this episode, Will and I just have a conversation about it. And there's some great, great prescriptive advice near the end involving a lizard and an iceberg. So that's what you're about to hear. And please forgive some of the quality of the audio. I recorded this interview while on the road. But what Will has learned is so compelling. And I love the conversation. I don't think you will mind. All right. Let's pick his brain. for this. Uh, and I know that we're joining a conversation, uh, 2000 years on, but, um, you know, what is a self? <laughs> what is a self? Well, I mean, it's a very good question. So I mean, the, the, the kind of the answer that I've got is that it's kind of the mechanism through which we experience ourselves in the world. That's my kind of in a nutshell yeah. answer to, to what is a self. It's, it's that kind of psychological neurological mechanism through which we kind of experience mm -hmm. everything. And so why, yeah. why would this be selected for by, why would natural selection, what pressures would bring this on? Like, why would this, why is this useful to our organism? Well, I mean, you're asking why do we have consciousness? And I, I don't think there's an, I, I, I think, <laughs> and I don't think that there's, that, 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 that anyone has got a, a, a very sensible answer to, to that question. That's one of the sort of big mysteries of, you know, in, in, in I'm really hoping you'd have an answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but 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 you know, I, I think to, to, to view um, 
the self is 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 ultimately i think what what kind of brain and mind and self wants to do is is to control the world and um and i and i think you know have, having a self is is an essential kind of com- component of that mm-hmm. uh, what one of the ways that we can you know we experience self is 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 through that that voice in our heads that that internal monologue mm. that's constantly sort of narrating our every move. This is important. Uh, the left brain interpreter, which we've talked about at least a dozen times on the show, but yes. uh, to see it, yeah. to see it come back. Cause this is this, just as you experienced uh, the, the, the day that I learned this was a thing, it changed everything about how I thought about myself and others. Uh, it's a real revelatory moment. And, and um, for people who've never heard of this, just take us through it. So again, I agree. It's changed everything, and 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 it's such an important idea that I I I've resigned myself to having to explain it in every single book I ever write because I don't think you can really talk in much in depth about the big issues in psychology without understanding this because it's extraordinary. So 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 it's the. This voice that we have in our heads that's explaining our behavior and telling us who we are and what we're doing and why we think what we think and why we feel what we feel has no access to the parts of the brain that controls and generates why we do what we do or why we think what we think. So, um, so, so it's basically making stuff up. It's, you know, we, we really have no access. We have no idea why we do what we do and why we think what we think and why we feel what we feel. We have got no, uh, we, we don't know for sure. And sometimes that voice will, will be right, but, but equally it might, um, uh, you know, be wrong. And I think the, the, the easiest way of, of, of understanding it is that just imagine you're on a date with some, um, you know, hot person and it's a first date and you go to, you know, a, a gallery, you're trying to impress them, you're at a gallery and you go and there's a big Rothko and, you, and, and you know, everyone loves Rothko and you say to the, your, your date, oh, I love Rothko and your date goes, oh, well, tell me, why do you like Rothko? What do you mm-hmm. like about Rothko? And you immediately start making up a load of old nonsense, right? You just start going and bullshitting to them and that's confabulation and, 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 and the kind of disturbing thing is that, that, that we find is that we're actually doing that all the time. For everything. Why do you want to be a writer? Why do you, you know, why did you just snap at your you know wife why did you uh, you know for every question you could possibly imagine it's all a confabulation mm-hmm. and, and and as i say sometimes it's I mean, perhaps even often it can it's it, it it's a real explanation but 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 equally it might not be mm-hmm. and and you know and, and as i say it's completely changed the way i experience myself and my life because you know you can't imagine having a self without having that voice for for one and also now i just don't you know whereas before i would have woken up god i'm feeling really depressed why am i feeling depressed oh it's because of i've got to do this today no it's because of this argument i just don't even bother thinking about it anymore i just accept that i'm I'm feeling down that day and move on because because i know it's just there's just no point yeah and and it's also changed the way that i think about therapy you know because to to me it's the, the whole therapeutic process feels like you're just swapping one confabulation for another confabulation. Mm-hmm. And that, that could be a really good thing. It could actually be a really, really positive thing. Yeah, reframing is great if it's done reframe. properly. Yeah. yeah, no, that's what you're doing. It, you get a bit suspicious. That's that. true. You need to trust that you need to find a, a good reframer. Yeah. <laughs> you're really convincing. One, Someone who's they? a better reframer than you. That's the therapist. Yeah. That's, that's the therapist you need in your life. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's so much, and, and it bears out in study after study after study after study study, and, and people do it so readily. And they have, if they, if they're I always thinking those studies, if they weren't debriefed, they'd have no idea that you know the study where they switch out the pictures, and you don't realize they switch out the pictures. Those, and, mm-hmm. you, and you just keep explaining why you like the picture that you never even, that you weren't talking about beforehand, uh, or they have you 
test the same stockings and you say this one's better than the other because of these 11 reasons, but it's the same yeah, stocking. The stocking one's great. So, 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 so there's a known quirk in psychology that when you give people a, a, a bunch of things to choose from, they tend to choose the last thing they've seen. Yeah. Because, you know, so, so, so what they do is they give women, so they have a look at these stockings and um, show, tell me what your favorite one is. And then they tend to choose the last one. And actually all the stockings are identical. So then they go, so what did you like those stockings best? And they go, oh, and they give all these reasons. And then, and then they say to them, did, did it ever occur to you that you might have chosen those stockings just because they were the last ones you see? And I think, I can't remember, I'm paraphrasing, but in the paper actually says that, that, that more often than not, the participants looked at the experimenters as if we were mad. Yeah. You know, they were just like, yeah. what are you talking about? That's insane. But that's the that's the actual reason why they chose the yeah. stockings. So, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of enormously kind of convincing idea. And I guess it's a clue, really, I think, to... To, to why do we have a self? Why do we have consciousness? Because it's all part of that idea of, you know, the, the, the confabulation is a story. It's a story that we tell about the world. And of course, the hero of the story that we tell about the world, if we're um, not depressed, if we're mentally healthy, is that we are this kind of hero. We are this moral actor um, uh, striving against great odds in order to make uh, a, better, a, a better life for ourselves. And, 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 ha and having that story... Um, is is massively beneficial to us obviously i mean i mean individuals having that story is what's built the world it's what is what has enabled humans to conquer the planet and build mm. all the cities and civilizations it, it, it is is millions and millions and millions and millions of individuals confabulating merrily away completely convinced that they're the heroes at the center of the universe mm. and that the thing that they're doing is all important and it and is going to make their life somehow better and of course you know often at times it does make their yeah. life somehow better but, so, so so you see that one of the one of the amazing qualities of having this particular human self what you made me think here is you know i agree with you completely and the and obviously so and um you know, if you think about like, why does a, if you have like a company that has a mission statement and, you know, they have like a creed or even a nation that has like some high ideal that everyone sort of subscribes to and you want to get reductionist about it, you can get that, you can break this all the way down to atoms and molecules if you want to. And you can say, well, really the company's doing this because it wants to have survival tokens to make, to buy bananas, you know, if you want to get all the way down with it. Um, so in a way, the story that the company tells about itself is this grand confabulation that everyone agrees to. And I can almost mm. see that as a metaphor for, uh, you know, this this uh, this sort of parliament of competing agencies that, and this the unifying thing being this story, this confabulation, just so they can all get on with it. And, you know, go, yeah. and and so there's um, and but but there is, as you say in the book, there is a a definite uh, uh, there's another edge to this sword, which is that um, when we tell, there's certain stories we will start telling about ourselves that can lead to absolute ruin when it comes to the self. In fact, you start the book out right there, talking about suicide. I was very surprised that we were starting there. Um, so instead of giving it all away, um, why did you start with suicide? And what did you learn about like uh, how our notion of ourselves can lead to suicide? Because Because, you know, this is, the ultimate rebuke to natural selection and our whole mm. evolutionary past to snuff ourselves out, to end our chances of survival and continue procreation. So it's, it's incredibly fascinating that you would start there. So, um, yeah, tell us more about that. Yeah. So I started a suicide, um, for exactly that reason, because it's the ultimate rebuke. It's, it doesn't make any sense, you know, so, 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 so you know, the, 
we've just been saying having a human self is this is this thing where we we are doers we are strugglers we are fighters we get up we can we can you know with all those amazingly kind of powerful biases and prejudices that we have convinced ourselves that we're in the best tribe that we are heroes we're moral actors and that the the, the story of our lives is um, um kind of full of hope and promise um and, and that and, and that's what humans do and so you know we are above all else we, we obviously we want to survive so what on earth could it be that could cause a, a human self to actually want to make it destroy itself i mean that that seemed to me like a really really interesting question because it didn't it didn't make any sense uh, and and it felt very timely as well because you know there's lots of sort of data out there in in the world that that, that suicide is um on the increase um uh, and since the 1980s, since the launch of these sort of blockbuster antidepressants, um, which actually are especially effective at treating serious depression, which is the most likely um, form of depression to lead to suicide. Actually, as bad as the suicide figures are, they would be hugely worse. You, 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 you can extrapolate um, if we didn't have around 10% of the population of, of, of the UK and, and the US on, on antidepressants at any one time. So it just, so it, just it felt to me like a very timely question. And, 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 and I thought that, you know, the answer is going to tell us something sort of, quite, I think quite interesting about, about the self. And so ha- having suffered from kind of suicidal ideation myself before as a journalist, as I'm sure you know, when you've had a thing that's, important to you personally you tend to write lots about it and i'd done i'd done i'd written quite a few different separate stories about suicide i'd met lots of people who had survived suicide or who had or who were partners parents of people who had um taken their own lives and there was this thing that kept cropping up and and there's this idea that this person had unusually high expectations for themselves and the problem had been that those expectations had um, uh, not been met again and again and again and again, and they felt stuck. And so, you know, I looked into this, and th- there's this interesting model um, by Professor Roy Baumeister, a very brilliant, um, you know, emeritus professor of psychology. And, and he and he and he sort of found this. Is he found something similar that 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 um, uh, that yeah, that it's people who have these kind of particularly high expectations for themselves and and and, and kind of fail to meet them. And, and, that, and then, then that led me to ask the question, well, you know, why might this be happening so much at the moment? And you, you kind of expand it out from, from suicide to other kind of self-attacking behaviours, whether it be um, eating disorder, self-harm um, uh, or, uh, or, these, uh, uh, or, um, or any of these other sort of behaviours in which kind of selves start attacking themselves. And what they all have in common, one of the, one of the things that, that predicts them, one of the traits that predicts them is perfectionism. So when people are kind of perfectionistic, um, it, it kind of predicts, it makes you more vulnerable, more likely to kind of suffer from these um, uh, problems. And so one of the definitions of perfectionism is, 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 is when you're doing perfectionistic thinking, you are, you are um, highly or more highly uh, sensitive signals of failure in your environment. Mm. So, so, so if you if you if you're very or relatively easily be triggered into feeling like a failure, then that's going to cause you problems. It's going to lead to some of this sort of very negative perfectionistic thinking. And so that made me think, well, that's interesting because we have a, an, a cultural environment at the moment where 
it, it seems to me it's very easy to 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 push people into can trigger people into feeling like they're failures. I mean, we have a kind of economy that's really tough, especially on young people. It's 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 hard to get on the housing ladder. It's hard to make a living. It's hard to it's um it, it's hard to um much harder than it was say in the kind of 50s and 60s to kind of get along and get ahead um in our culture we've got this social media thing happening which has just come out of nowhere in the last 10 years in which people have been made to feel like failures uh all the time that that, that can come in, in in the guise of you know the pictures on instagram where everyone looks so kind of perfect and and then we you know one of the one of the fundamental ways the brain Un, you know, did, understands how it's doing in the social world as it compares itself to the people around it. You know, we, we've, we've evolved to uh, live in tribes of around 150 people, as you know. And so that's not that many people to compare yourself to. And they've all been roughly like us. But now we're on Instagram and now we're flicking past, you know, Kim Kardashian and Jennifer Lawrence. And then there's us. And, and so, so even though, even if we know logically that Kim Kardashian and Jennifer Lawrence or whoever it is and our friends are only putting their most perfectly kind of sculpted moments from their from their lives onto Instagram unconsciously it's still it's still a hit it's still making us feel um you know as if we're failures and then there's this incredible political pressure at the moment there's you know we were living in very febrile tribalistic times and there's a huge pressure out there to to have the perfect political views and and, and there's a there's, there's an increased sense of risk and danger if yeah. you Straight outside those perfect particular views, the, the, like the, the ramifications can be disastrous. Yeah, we're, we're the most judged ever. It feels like you know, yeah. it feels like it feels like there are eyes upon us everywhere, and that yeah. if the slightest misstep, and we will be ostracized from our tribe. Uh, and that's yeah. that is primal, and that is visceral, and that is we're keen, and we are, uh, a few, you know, we're on edge in that way. It's almost because uh, you mentioned in the book that. It, joining social media and becoming very active in it um almost always leads to unhappiness like it like it increase it increases on your your unha- unhappiness but disconnecting from social media doesn't sort of increase happiness so it's you're just bringing something into your life that is causing stress um yeah. and that may be temporary that may be of our time and we may figure it out and we may become better at it but um it certainly is true uh, in this moment and you bring it up uh you you dive really deep into that and how um you know, th- th- I know that in previous eras we talked about how much women were being judged and being and being told you have to be this perfect person, mm. uh, and you also bring up how men are have also have an ideal that they're trying to subscribe to, and, yeah, uh, and, we're, and they both feel like they're falling short. Yeah, so this is an extraordinary thing that's just happened in the last few years. I mean, I've noticed. It, I mean, I'm sure it's the same in the U.S., but certainly in the U.K., um, where for, you know, obviously for, for as long as you can think women have had this awful pressure to have these kind of perfect bodies, right? These, you know, you've got to look 18 for your whole life, <laughs> you know, if you're a woman and it's terrible. It's this awful pressure that women feel. And when I was young, men didn't really have that pressure. I mean, you know, of course people were, were mean to people who are overweight and, you know, but, but, but it was the grunge era, it was generation X. Mm-hmm. We were down at, we were down at music venues drinking, cider smoking roll-ups and watching bands you know that's what we were doing but these days, yeah exactly <laughs> the, these days the kids are um they're in the gym they're eating salads they're eating protein bars i mean and and so so, so one of these statistics that came out in between the hard the, the, the hardback and the over here in the in the uk the paperback is that within, within just two years in the uk um hospital referrals for for eating disorders in men young men had gone up by 43 percent 
And it's it's unbelievable. And now if you watch the reality TV shows, I mean, I'm a bit of a reality TV show junkie. I love them. Um, as I think most people who, um, who are interested in psychology probably do have a secret guilty pleasure in watching reality TV shows. Um, uh, and um, and, and the, is a, the major difference is that, that, that young men in reality TV shows now always have their tops off and have these unbelievably beautiful torsos like they are gorgeous when i was their age i didn't know a single person who had those bodies mm -hmm. and those bodies are hard to get and they're hard to maintain and that's now seen as the norm for young people young people have to be stacked they have to have pecs and um uh, biceps and you know pelvic v-lines and it's just an, an extraordinary new pressure. And that's the tragedy of it all is that is that rather than learning, Jesus, we've been bullying women for generations with this. Let's stop doing this. It's just spreading out to young men. Mm. So so this is just one of the ways I think that, that, that we are, you know, everybody has to, 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 to be a celebrity. They have to look like mm. a celebrity these days and have to live a kind of celebrity lifestyle these days. Is that the idea? One of the psychologists I spoke to for the book said, um, I'm going to paraphrasing her, said, you know, back in the day, back in the 40s, this idea that there were the stars, the famous people, they were the, we called them the stars. The idea was they were up there in the heavens. They weren't like us. And now, uh, you know, post-reality TV, post-social media, we're not, you know, keeping up with, we know we're keeping up with the Kardashians these days. We're all trying to be the Kardashians and that's yeah. the expectation. And it's just, it's an incredible pressure. And it is just one more, it, that's just one of the pressures. I have this right here. This is, you wrote, this is your, these are your words. Uh, and I had to copy paste this. I was like, oh my God. Because uh, every, you say our, in the West, you know, our current idea Ideal self is extroverted, slim, beautiful, individualistic, optimistic, hardworking, socially aware, high self-esteem, global citizen with entrepreneurial guile and a selfie camera. <laughs> and yeah. and yeah. Uh, that enjoys thinking it's unique, trying to make the world a better place, and uh, in values, personal authenticity, or being real. Um, you have to be true to yourself, follow your dreams, and if you dream big enough, anything is possible. And you have to also be younger than 30. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> then you, but you follow that up with saying... There is no such human being. Um, yeah. So how did this happen? How did that become the thing that we all think we have to be? Well, I mean, so so partly it's you know, it, 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 it's a you know just one small part of it is this kind of is this kind of gender thing. So so, so one of the studies I write about was would they they asked. Um, a bunch of men and a bunch of women. What does it take to be a man? And they found that in, in order to be a man, you have to be a fighter, a winner, a provider, a protector, and you have to maintain mastery and control at all times. Um, but you also have to show kind of vulnerability. Uh, you also you, you're still kind of not like yeah. So so, so it's really hard. And you've got that whole thing with women. So now women have to you know have it all. So they have to be a great mom and have a great family. But they also have to be brilliant in business and you know go girl and lean in and all that stuff so so there's just this huge global pressure on everyone to be perfect and and the complicated thing about that is that it's brilliant that, that that women are now empowered and encouraged to be every bit as successful in the financial world as men and it's brilliant that men are now encouraged to be better fathers and kinder and keep a lid on their anger and all that stuff you can't argue against any of that stuff, but the but the underside of that is that is that it's just another thing that increases, you know, the the the, the pressure on individuals. It, it it just raises that bar higher. The bar being, am I a successful person? Am I the person that I that I want to be and the society wants me to be? It just makes it. It's just raised that bar. And as to the kind of broader question, how did we end up with this? ideal self with that sort of big list that you just read so for, for, i think 
if there's one idea, whether well, there's one idea that kind of runs through selfie, and it's really about the power of culture to mm. and the power of our environment to kind of create who we are, and and it, and it and it and it begins in in ancient Greece. I mean, the story of the Western personality, the Western self, begins in in ancient Greece, um, and and it's some really extraordinary work by but by psychologists that have looked at how the environment kind of creates our sense of self. That mm. just I just just thought this was extraordinary um and so what was particular about ancient greece was it wasn't like a, a country as if you that you a nation that you'd imagine one today like this kind of this area of land demarcated it's a thousand individual communities mm-hmm. called city states but a lot of them weren't they're not cities in the, the size uh, that, that we'd think of them today and 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 they're either on little rocky outcrops and are or islands or they're they're on kind of coastal waters in mountains descending to sea so you've already got this indi- very individualist landscape and it creates a sense of freedom because in other you know it's this game of thrones world two and a half thousand years ago it's a world of gods and monsters and mm-hmm. tyrannies and if you upset people in most places, you'd probably be killed. You know, mm. if you upset the powers that be. But in ancient Greece, if you upset the powers that be, you could just hop off to another city state. So you had this kind of sense of freedom. Um, but but the, the other idea is that is is that because of the ecology of the land, because it was rocky, um, it was all rocky, and there's, there's no, you you couldn't do much good to any sort of farming or agriculture. You couldn't have big. Uh, you know wheat growing um areas so you to in order to get along and get ahead which is what evolutionary psychologists tell us that kind of human is the ultimate is the basic kind of human instinct you had to be a bit of a hustler you had to be a small business owner essentially you had to make olive oil um tan hides be a fisherman and and and, and you know so so, so 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 you had to kind of privilege yourself over the over the group you had to push yourself forward and then and and and, and again because of the ecology there were you know everybody was sort of trading with each other and in these different communities had different ideas and the ideas would spread and people from other parts of the sort of globe would sail in and do trading so there's all these new ideas um flowing about so and and so kind of from this became came this culture of kind of debate where people would kind of debate each other and that became a thing where you, where you could gain lots of status and from this comes this idea that the kind of i guess the locus of um power in the world is the individual rather than the group and and it's the individual which should you know aristotle said that the individual was on this kind of natural path towards perfection which is sounds like something you'd hear today mm-hmm. uh, and you know it's the world where the olympics happens you know this amazing competition of self against self it's a world where for 50 years democracy happened i mean it's just extraordinary in that world that for 50 years um you could vote and and, and you know the individual although they obviously they were just privileged men <laughs> that they, they could vote um uh, uh, uh and have some say in who was kind of running the running the community you had the veneration of the physical self you know so you had you had statues of ideal forms of masculine and feminine beauty up in 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 public places so 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 so, so it's a really kind of uh, uh, amazing kind of idea that the, the the ecology essentially forms this sense of self which forms this culture and when i was first reading about this you, you automatically think well this is this is just a bit of a just so story this is you know surely Every, you know, you know, everybody would seek glory. Everybody seeks fame. Everybody wants to win the Olympics. So this is just what it's like to be a, a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, I think that just shows you how deep culture stretches within us, because that's actually not the case. And we know it's not the case because you compare um, people from the West to people from the from East Asia. So at the same time that Aristotle was walking around 
in ancient Greece, Confucius was walking around in East Asia, around China. And China's the opposite of ancient Greece. It's just a landlocked place, no new ideas coming in, easy to conquer, so easy for, for kind of tyrannies to kind of to, to impose themselves. And to get along and get ahead in ancient Greece, you had to, uh, sorry, in, in East Asia, you, you know, it was generally big farming communities, so rice. Uh, or wheat, or they had these massive, huge irrigation projects. So you had to privilege the group over the self, because it was it was important that it was vital more than anything that the group um, uh, worked, because it was the group that that that, that made these big projects um, work. And so when you get people, you know, inherit like modern inheritors of these cultures in the in the lab today, you can see the effects still there. So one of the things that they do is they track your they they put your these these um glasses over your eyes and they track your saccades so they track the movement of your eyes as it's scanning the environment so if you put um a, 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 like an american um person in front of a video of a fish tank right and and in and in the fish tank there's this big fish at the front mm. um the, the 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 westerner the person with the kind of greek inheritance their eyes will 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 will, will mostly look at that big fish at the front and and will only relatively occasionally flip out to, to look at the context whereas the east asian person um will be constantly scanning between the context and the fish at the uh, in the middle mm. and you take them out of the lab and you say so what did you just see and the individualist, the, the, the American will go, I saw a big fish. There's a big fish. And you ask the East Asian person, who is the kind of groupish Confucian, and they'll go, I saw a fish tank and there was a bunch of fish in it and there was a fish at the front. And then you say, well, tell me about the fish at the front. And the American will go, well, that was the leader. That was obviously the leader fish. I like that fish. And you ask the East Asian, well, I felt sorry for that fish because the fish had always been ostracized by the group and I wondered what that fish had done wrong. <laughs> so it's just extraordinary. You see, you, you see how differences in the landscape two and a half thousand years ago create different create different versions of reality. You know, even to the even to the, to the depth at which our eyes are unconsciously scanning the environment, and then from that emerges just a different value system. You know, it, it's it, it, and so, so so it's really extraordinary differences. So I, in selfie, I track that idea along. So the, so these ideas are are, are well known and well studied. Uh, in terms of ancient Greece and, and you know, um, and ancient China and modern West and modern kind of East Asia. And also mm. there's some famous looks at kind of North and South America where these ideas pan out too. Um, um, and, and, okay, so, okay, so today it's not the ecology that, can, that, 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 that we are dependent on. It's not the ecology that, 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 that defines how we get along and get ahead because we've, technology is such that we've broken free of ecology. So what is it? Well, today it's the economy. It's the state of the economy that, that, that determines who we have to be in order mm -hmm. to get along mm -hmm. and get ahead. OK, so think about the economy now in the West. Think about who we were in 1965. So in 1965, um, uh, we are hippies, essentially. We are collectivist, anti-materialistic, much more Eastern. And, and it was the era when Eastern ideas began to sort of flood the culture. Mm -hmm. um, meditation and, and and so on um we're anti-materialistic anti-man anti you know all that stuff and so look at look at the economy at the time and this was a surprise to me just how collective the economy was in america and the uk you know before i was born so in the us you had you know unionization you had loads of regulation on banking and business um you had uh, um uh, up to 90 percent tax on the wealthy in america just extraordinary so out of this collective economy becomes a a collective self you know and and, and th th those collective 
um, um, those collective, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Those collective laws um, came out of the Second World War and came out of the Great Depression. So, and out of those collective um, laws and regulations became corporation man and woman, became, you know, the first generation of the collective American self. And they had children, and those children became the hippies. And that's who we were in 1965. Mm -hmm. So now fast forward to 1985. Who were we in 1985? Just 20 years later. The Western self has undergone an absolute transformation. We have become yuppies. We are the opposite of the hippies. You know, our values have completely changed. We are wearing red braces in Wall Street, going on about how greed is good. And I know this is a caricature I'm making, but it's just, you know, to make the point of how much we've changed in just 20 years. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And now think about it. What happened in exactly between those dates, 65 and 85? Our economy transformed. Thatcher and Reagan came along and they brought in this new idea. Even in the 70s, the economy was in chaos and that we had to get to grips with it. So we had to look for an idea. How are we going to get the economy back under our control? And the idea that they settled upon was neoliberalism. So neoliberalism is to get rid of all those collective um, ideas, get rid of all the collective, you know, release bank and banking and business from all the regulations, um, reduce the welfare state, attack the unions. What we want to do is turn all of human life into a competitive game of self versus self. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a reversion to ancient Greece. It's this, it's, it, it, you create this environment where you've got to be a hustler to survive because the government ain't going to look after you, the unions ain't going to look after you, and your employers aren't going ain't to look after you either because all of those regulations are gone. And, and it's just extraordinary how quickly we start seeing changes in the culture. So there's this really great Gene Twenge um, uh, um, study that looked at um, how we name our children. So in 1982, this began. So just two years after, you know, uh, after this neoliberal revolution began. And she found that people started giving their children unusual names. So for as long as you can think of, we, we've been calling our kids Jennifer, Victoria, George, Albert, you know, all the usual names. And suddenly people start giving their children weird spell, weirdly spelled names unusual names, unique names. And, uh, uh, you know, as Jin Twenge says, it's because people wanted their kids to stand out and be a star. So as a whole new value system comes out of this, comes comes out of the economy, it, this is the era of gym fix and uh, all the, you know, keep fit and jogging becomes a big thing. And, and again, that's never left us. We still are, in, you know, obsessed with wellness and physical fitness and, mm. and trust fit, or, you know, uh, on all these ideas. So, 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 so you see it just happening absolutely in perfect time. The economy changes, um, we change as a people. And that's because there's a, there's a bunch of new rules now. What humans want fundamentally is to get along and get ahead. And, and when the economy changes, you have to be a different kind of person in order to get along and get ahead. And that sort of big list of qualities, you know, we have to be entrepreneurial, young, fit, thin, globally minded. You know, we, we live in a, in a globalist economy. These, these are all... The, the person that doesn't exist that culture wants us to exist is the person best suited to thrive mm. in its particular environment. <laughs> we're describing like the cyborg that we would create to survive in this environment. It's like the, we're, you know, we're, we're imagining, this is like a science fiction story where you imagine the perfect predator for the, you know, this, this, it doesn't exist, but it, I mean, what you're speaking to here is, and this is something you say in the book is that who we are is, is the reflection of the environment in which we need to be. I mean, it's, it's selective pressures. It's, it's, it's all it is. It's, uh, yeah. we're fitting ourselves into the ecological niche is what you're saying. And, and it just happens yeah. that 
it's not tooth and nail anymore. It's economic. I mean, I'm just repeating what you just said, but that's, that's, uh, um, it's revelatory, especially in that in psychology is having to go through its, uh, epiphany about, uh, weirds, um, because mm. even in the exploration of the psyche and man itself or human, um, uh, the exploration of the actual, you know, <laughs> essence of humanity did not itself realize that people were different than, than <laughs> yeah. the people in the culture in which they had found themselves making this exploration. So, and, um, and, you know, as you point out in the book in Eastern Asian cultures, they don't, they, they were almost never had an autobiography. Um, self-esteem doesn't even exist. They had to borrow the word from our language. Um, they value their leaders when they're shy. Uh, it's okay to punish someone, uh, if it betters the group, even if that person didn't do anything wrong. Um, and even in the storytelling, and I know that you teach, uh, storytelling and it's a very important thing in your life. Their, their version of the hero's tale ends with all the characters being right and wrong at the same time. And so it's up to you, dear reader, to figure out what the point of the story was and who was the, who was the hero and what do we gain from it? It seems like, you know, we're talking about a, a completely different kind of person and a kind of brain because we are, um, and you, you illustrate that so well in the book that, um, that I think there's prescri- there is prescriptive ice in that for me in that, okay, just realize that this perfect self is, is the self that would survive in this environment. No problem. Never, ever, ever have to worry about anything. It doesn't exist. It's some angelic, you know, entity. But the most important thing is, is when the times change, when this environment that we find ourselves within changes, that idea of perfection is going to change too. So you're, you're really chasing the dragon here. Yeah, so I think that was the, kind of one of the ideas that came out of the book, which I, which I was really interesting, was, was this idea of story being tribal propaganda. So you, you, psychologists have increasingly talking about the, the importance of gossip uh, uh, to, to, to human beings. You know, oh, yeah. so you, you, you said know, like uh, it's. Uh, it's like sixty percent of our day-to-day conversation is just gossip. Just, yeah, some some studies put it at ninety percent. Oh Mark wow, Gazaniga put it at ninety percent, eighty to ninety percent in his book. So I don't know. Yeah, um, so so but it's a lot. And 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 some psychology are even talking about this idea that the reason human language evolved in the first place is to swap gossip. You know, there's this idea before that it was one of the ideas was it was about coordinating kind of hunting. But of course, wolves hunt as a pack perfectly well without having sophisticated <laughs> language uh, and, and and you know as i said earlier we are a hyper social species our realm our umwelt is the human realm so it kind of makes sense and, and and gossip is where reputation lives so you know so so people's reputation in that tribe would have been of ultimate crucial importance to your reputation because if you if you developed a bad reputation you risk being you know violently attacked or ostracized which would be which would be a death sentence so we still today are uh, you know, so we, we still today are completely preoccupied by our own personal reputations. It's still incredibly important to us. But it, and, and so it's, it's in gossip that the ideal, the tribe's ideal self would have come to come into being, you know. So it's in the stories we swap and oh, this person did this really amazing thing. You, you, out, of, out of that emerges this kind of rough outline of a perfect self. And that has never changed. That storytelling still does that. Storytelling. Um, the stories that we tell as a culture, the, the heroes that emerge out of those stories it, it tend to be that this is the person who is who is um, this is the person that, that our tribe wants you to be. You know, mm-hmm. our, our tribe wants you to be the absolute best suited kind of hero. to our yeah. environment. Yeah, our environment. Yeah. So so, 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 so stories is, is like this 
kind of tribal propaganda is it's it's the heroes that emerge out of a culture stories are are these kind of ciphers they are as you say the 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 the, the kind of per, the, the the cut out person who is best equipped to kind of survive and thrive in that particular environment so it is it's a it's a complete um it's a it's a complete fabrication that mm. person doesn't actually exist it's just it's it's just who your culture wants you to be yeah. it's kind of almost doing you a favor it's kind of saying look try and be this person because you, this is you're going to do well this is the person that gets celebrated by our tribe yeah. this is the person that gets applauded this is the person that gets their picture put up in the marketplace or in adverts this is, you know this is this is what they're like and, um, we can see, so, and we can see it's a moving target now that we're our, our history mm. is much more um you know, recorded and easy to, to access. Uh, and you can so see the ideal man or ideal woman or just ideal person from, um, just 20 years ago now seems, does it seem to fit? Does it like, and yeah. you can almost see someone who strove their whole life to be that person. And now they are in as best they can be. And then they enter into the next era and they're like, yeah, we've changed what it is now. So, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we're going through a period of radical change at the moment, and, and you're right. I mean, the, the, you know, values are, are changing so rap- rapidly at the moment that the, the, you know, people who are in middle age now, or you know, are looking back at their early life and going, "Well, the person that I, I was told I should be back then is now a villain." You're right. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so yeah, it's a, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a time of rapid change. And I think it's interesting as well. I mean, I, I it, it's too soon to draw any conclusions about the causes of all this. But, but what's interesting to me is that, uh, of course, social media is is, is caused a, a lot of these issues, as, as I know you've explored in one of your uh, previous uh, podcasts. But also in 2008, there was a massive economic. Mm. Um, you know, crisis, a huge, you know, there's a global financial crisis and, mm. and, and all of this increase in tribalism and increase in discord and um, uh, increase in kind of fury um, at, at the people who are perceived to have higher status in the in, in the culture. It begins with, you know, uh, with the Occupy movement that came out after that. And, and, and again, you see this looking back in history, you see. Mm increases in tribalism and 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 um people flocking towards the extremes of left and right after economic shocks and, and so i i i wonder um if the if the global financial crisis uh, had a part to play in this increase in um uh, increase in tribal thinking that we're experiencing at the mm. moment and now we take a break from our show for a word from our sponsor. I'm always trying to learn as much as I can. I'm sure it's the same for you. It's why you're listening to this podcast. And the Great Courses Plus is the streaming service created for people just like us. And if you haven't signed up yet, well, you need to, because this is one of my favorite ways to spend time learning from these leading professors and experts about anything that interests me psychology, politics, math, science, even how to take better photos. There's unlimited access to more than 10,000 fascinating lectures. Watch or listen along anytime, anywhere with the Great Courses Plus app. The Great Courses Plus has a new course that I highly recommend, Why You Are Who You Are, Investigations into Human Personality. Now, this course is actually 24 lectures. It has why... We are what we are. What is personality? Key traits, extroversion and neuroticism. Are you agreeable, conscientious, open, 
basic motives, underlying behavior, personality, and self-control. When personalities become toxic, beliefs about the world and other people, and beliefs about yourself. This is a perfect course to start out with if you're enjoying the interview today with Will Storr. And here is the thing that I think that you will enjoy the most. I've arranged for a special limited-time offer just for you, a free month of unlimited access to enjoy this and any of their other lectures. But to get this offer, you must sign up through my special URL. Start your free month today. Sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smart. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smart. You can listen to the entire course. You can listen to why you are who you are, investigations into human personality, and you can start drawing on the research in psychology, neuroscience, and genetics, and take this course for free with your first free month, which will look at the differences in people's personalities, where those differences come from, and how they shape our everyday lives, helping us become better people who understand ourselves and those around us. So remember, go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smart. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smart. And now we return to our program. I'm David McRaney, and this is the You Are Not So Smart podcast. We're going to pick right up where we left off with Will Storr. Into and I'm going deeper into the book to begin with. Here is um, you talk about the authentic self, mm. and that phrase is very popular in the uh, the current moment. And uh, I've heard it said just this week. I've heard people use it in different contexts. Um, and I I know in working on my last project that was a big deal for people who had felt that they had uh, had an epiphany or they had changed in some major way. They said, you know, I'm now and I feel like I am now my authentic self. So, uh, yeah. What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, so, 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 so there's two ways of, of looking at it. I mean, as, as I'm sure, you know, if you sort of talk to a lot of academics, they say that there is no such thing as an authentic self. You know, the brain is kind of modular, um, and we, 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 we change throughout our lifetimes. We change, um, going from situation to situation to situation uh, consciousness is just sort of one experience following another one thought following another one impulse following another so um, and, and this idea of the authentic self it really becomes popular back uh, you know in the US uh, especially around California it's part of the human potential movement and there's this big idea that comes up um, and it's really is a revolution in in, in, in our view of ourselves um, because for, for for generations, the ultra, the kind of basic view that people had about what a human is is that we are um, bad. Humans are bad. Mm. So if you're a Christian, you have original sin. Then Freud comes along, and he's supposed to be this big revolutionary. But he he agrees that that um, you know it's, it's, it's not original sin. It's you know, we have the Oedipus complex. We have all these like weird, repulsive sexual urges that need to be repressed. So, uh, but th but then what happens is 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 America comes along in all this kind of optimism <laughs> and positivity and says no, um, humans are amazing. And and this is this is the kind of the, the controlling idea really of the human potential movement. Um, most famously, this guy Carl Rogers, uh, who had this idea or promoted this idea and 
uh, that that actually humans were fantastic, and 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 the, and the reason that humans became unhappy is because of all the stuff that um, society and culture kind of piles on top of you. And in order to become happy and thriving and successful, we had to dig through, dig, get rid of all that stuff, and dig down to this perfect, authentic self. So then you had this the, the explosion of encounter groups and these kind of therapeutic techniques where people would just be honest with each other and dig through to their honest authentic self and they would stop being polite and stop being mannered and start being truthful and real mm-hmm. and the idea of course was that underneath is that, is that they would find this kind of perfect core and that's where the idea of the authentic self goes wrong because there is no kind of perfect authentic core there is no perfect version of you that's kind of buried underneath all this stuff that society and culture piles on top of you um uh, and actually, that's what started happening. I mean, the, it's the Esalen Institute in, in, in Big Sur in California that's most famous for kind of generating these ideas and exploring these ideas. Mm-hmm. And they would have these crazy encounter sessions where people would just be completely honest with each other. And people just started committing suicide. Marriages were ending. People were violently attacked in these things. <laughs> it didn't it didn't it didn't it didn't end up well. So uh, but, but we're still living very much in these human in these human kind of human potential um, era, people still believe that people are amazing and special, and yeah. actually, and actually, what what we should be is, is being authentic and real with each other. But actually, you know, one of the big problems with that is that we're a social creature. Human beings are a social, a highly hypersocial animal, and we have developed behaviours like manners. <laughs> for a reason and that's because we have to get on with each other and yeah. sometimes getting on with each other and, and and progressing in life means a certain level of uh, kind of c- controlled dishonesty you know you might say mm. not being authentic in inverted commas but actually being polite and kind to people <laughs> so, 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 so so it's kind of wrong headed um, this idea that there's this kind of perfect authentic self but there is some truth to it and, and that truth to it is it really goes goes to the to, to the kind of the big five, the the psycho, the, the, oh, yeah. the, the research that looks at personality, and so it is it is true actually that that, that everybody has a personality type. So how we beha- how we behave, and partly down to what's happening in that given moment, who the people um, that are kind of with us, whether we're trying to impress people or we you know what we're trying to get, um, but also. Um, it's kind of in our in our kind of personality. So you know everybody has these lies somewhere on the on a spectrum of um kind of various personality traits you know obviously i think most people of the big five which is openness to experience uh, conscientiousness extroversion agreeableness and neuroticism those are the kind of the big five traits and we all we all lie somewhere um higher and lower on all those traits so we're all, we're all more or less extrovert more or less agreeable uh, and those 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 big five traits they change relatively predictably as, as we go throughout our lives they don't change that much um so, so, so kind of stability is the rule they're not completely stable but stability is the rule and people people don't this idea that that we kind of can transform who we are that, we, that is a big part of the human potential potential movement that we can we can have these radical transformations and we can turn introvert into extrovert or you know we can we can become Whoever we want to be is actually a myth. We we, we can't do that. You know, we 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 we're quite rooted. Um, Personality-wise, though. Personality-wise. Yeah. Because yeah. because I mean, you know, because um, you you mentioned like uh, getting confused between personality and character, and how there was a, like a trade-off at some point in like the the, the whenever we were the going through the um, suburbia days 
uh, where like people would be defined by their character, and then suddenly it was important to have a personality or a persona that you mm. that you put forth. And um, I'm wondering, like, because I was wondering about that reading your set that part about the personality traits, and you talked about the, this metaphor of um, being in a, like a prison cell, and you can only get, you can move around within it, but you can't go beyond the walls. Is like that's where you are when you're. That's your. Your, that's how your knobs are set whenever you're born and your your personality profile. Um, and I'm wondering about that because I've thought a lot about change here uh, recently. And I'm wondering, like, um, you know, how deter how deterministic are these personality traits for like behavior and you know life success and happiness and all these other things we think about beyond you know that we have that we believe that we affect with ourselves as we move through our lives. Well, you know, as you know, genes aren't completely deterministic. You know, so roughly kind of 50 percent, roughly half of what our personality is, is genetic. But then most of the rest of that is um, well, all of the rest of that happens um, as we go through our lives. But but unfortunately, most of the rest of the work of, uh, of forming our personalities happens when we're when we're young and it, and, it, and, it, and it's the result of kind of experiences over which we have um, little or no control so once we're in our kind of mid-20s we kind of are who we are and of course we you know we can change um, we, we, we can change marginally but, but this idea that we can completely transform our personality by sheer force of will or by you know going to encounter groups or you know feeling the fear and doing it anywhere or any, or any of these other things that culture keeps telling us is possible it, it, it is just fantasy mm. i mean the, 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 there are lots of kind of people that part of the problem with this is that people really really don't want that to be true so you always get people very skeptical of this idea that um that that, that um human personality is relatively stable because it's just it's just it just feels like such a depressing story um uh, but but um, but unfortunately, it is. You know, you cannot. You, you can change a, a little bit, but but you can't. You can't transform. And yeah, you know, partly just because of so much of it is kind of is is rooted in in our genetics. Mm -hmm. You know, like our serotonin, our serotonin system, for example, um, is is there at birth. It's set at birth, so, 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 and that has a you know a hugely powerful effect over how how we kind of experience our everyday lives and ourselves within it yeah and there are other aspects of this too i i just like starting here with the authentic self because i think i could I, we can we've had bruce hood on the show before and uh you, you spoke to bruce hood and, and mm. the um uh and there's a couple of ideas in there one the 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 looking glass self is something that is um it's one of those things that in psychology that uh, the sec you you haven't thought about it very much, but the second you see it explained, you're like, ah, yes, I know exactly what's happening. So tell uh, tell everyone a little bit about how that adds to this um, this sort of conundrum of the self. This uh, this other aspect that is um, makes the authentic self seem uh, less and less uh, you know tangible. Yeah, so the idea of the looking glass self is it's the answer to the question: How do we work out what we're like? How do we work out who we are and what we're like? You know, we're sort of looking out of our eyes and <laughs> hearing out of our ears. So how, how do we work out, you know, who we are? And, 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 and the answer is we are who we think other people think we are. 
So we look out into our social worlds and we, we're constantly looking at the reactions we're getting to the things we're saying and how we're behaving, the, listening to the things people are saying about us. And, and, and that kind of builds our sense of who we are and what we're like. So, so, so yeah, they call it the looking glass self. So, it's, it's, so again, it's, it's another way that we are, this idea of the authentic self is a bit, a bit of a myth because it's, it, it, it's to a great extent constructed by other people. Yeah, you're, you're, um, we can all experience this as we move through um, the job to home, to friends, to uh, the bar, to, you know, there's a, <laughs> um, I forget the psychologist who said it, but there's as many selves as we have social groups to which we, you know, we... Uh, exactly, we, yeah, and yeah. people talk about the Facebook self and the Twitter self and the Instagram self all being different, yeah. and you're a, you're, you're a certain you when you're with your parents, certain you when you're with your partner... I'm definitely a different version of me on Monday than I'm on Friday. <laughs> There's a morning me and an evening me. Yeah. And, and it's really, I don't, I don't write about this and stuff, but it's always, it's, you know, look, as, as most middle-aged men do, I struggle with dad bod, you know, quite a lot. And so I go through the, I, I go through phases of just, right, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to eat sensibly. And then it comes to Friday at kind of 4.30 PM and I'm just eating chocolate. <laughs> you know? And it's like, you know, that's the struggle that so many people have, millions of people have. And, and, and it's hard to work it out because, um, you know, at one point I'm completely determined. I'm going to lose weight. I don't want dad bot. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to eat sensibly. I'm, I'm in my forties. I'm not a child anymore. I don't need chocolate for God's sake. And then literally two, three days later, you, 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 it's like, but, 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 I, but, but when I observe myself doing that now, having learned about the kind of the malleability of who we are, I realize that that's, that there's actually two different versions of me. It's two different, two different personalities in a way with two different sets of values and the set of values that the Monday morning one has is um, I, I value, you know, the, the way I look and I value health and I value not prematurely aging over these childish cravings for sugar and uh, chocolate and the values of the Friday afternoon. You're like, ah, oh, sod it. God, God, you can only live once, you know, it's just a <laughs> bit of chocolate. It's, it's a completely different self is it, it, how it feels. So it, it's interesting. So, so, so although that, that core, that personality core it, 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 it is still there in the sense that I am still the personality that I am, I still have those traits. You move around that core and it, and it kind of expresses in, in, um, you know, very different ways and it, it, to, to, to almost to such a degree that you, you, you almost feel like you become a different person mm. at different points in the week, and, and that affects, you know, your behavior. Mm. And, 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 and it, you know, and, that, and that's how you end up chastising yourself and going, "I can't believe you did that." You know, we, we all have that experience of saying that and feeling that. Oh yeah, I, I, I apologize. I was drinking. I wasn't myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't drunk for, for for twenty years, and I still do that. And, and that only makes sense if you realize that actually, yeah, you are different versions of yourself and one and, and in that moment one version of you is apologizing for another version of you mm -hmm. so it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of creepy when you think about it but but i think that explains why people find it so hard to give up drinking and to give up smoking and to give up binge eating is because there's different yous doing those behavior and one one you has only loose control over the other you I was excited that you mentioned this in the book because it's something David Eagleman had said in, in passing, or, or I mean, he was said it in a book, but I, I, you bring it up and you, you dive really deep into it in your new book. Um, 
you know, that we are, and this is sort of what we're talking about. We have these personality traits that seem pretty stable through our lives, but the, the organism is, is the, the mental organism is a, is, is more like a bickering parliament of competing agencies and they all want different things. Um, and so they are arranged differently and they win, win and lose and there's uh, it never ends. And so the, this feeling that there's an authentic self, that's this one thing, um, the research bears out that it's a it's more like a, a, a bickering parliament of competing agencies. Yes, yeah, so it's like a democracy. Is you, you've got all these kind of different kind of circuits and networks all competing to, um, you know, be your behaviour. So you're, you you you're constantly have these different parts of you arguing about what 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 you should do next, and and. and the winner of those arguments becomes your behavior. So, so, so again, that's, that's another kind of huge strike against is this idea that we've got this kind of authentic self. Um, and, 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 and kind of in a layer over the top of that, of course, is, is personality and, and your kind of personality, I guess, is going to kind of control, um, to a certain extent, how likely, uh, certain one behavior is going to, be to win over another yeah. so my you know my personality so i'm 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 high in trait um neuroticism which is a really bad thing it's the, that's the one thing you don't want to be it's not good um so, so so it means that i am much more um sensitive to signals of danger in my environment that's just how i'm wired up whether it's you know something in my neurochemistry or the size of my amygdala or whatever um it, it just so happens that that, that i am high in trait neuroticism so that that has lots of bad, bad effects it means that i um uh, I, I'm, I'm, I get paranoid, you know. I, 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 I get, I get little kind of persecution complex, and I can be very defensive with people. Mm. Um, it's, it's, but, but, it, but it's also a good thing because I'm constantly worrying and thinking. And that's, I wouldn't be a writer if I wasn't constantly no. worrying and thinking because those, wor- those worries about how the world's working and that neurosis <laughs> and that that need to control the world has has kind of formed my career in a sense because yeah. because it becomes the books. I want to. I have this un kind of neurotic need to understand how people work and then so you become interested in psychology so 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 so, what, so, 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 so you do have this it's, it's not an authentic self as, as it is much as a kind of a, a kind of a mood one way i think about it is is, is is that everybody has an implicit theory of control the brain has has its own general theory of, of how it should control the world if you think of if you think of your brain's ultimate mission as it needs to control the world that's that, that's its number one job is to control the world to help enable you to get what you want out of it and so so we all have this implicit theory of control and a big part of that is personality so if you're high in neuroticism your your, your theory of control is well um, I need to be hyper alert for, for signals of danger. And when, and when I see signals of potential threat or danger, I need to strike and act and do something about it. Uh, and, and that's completely different to somebody kind of low in neuroticism who would be much more laid black and happy and allow things to happen. So, so, you, so, 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 so it's, it's interesting, I think, when you see it through the lens of, of control, which I think is what kind of all brains ultimately want to do. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, but, you know, you, you talk about your neuroticism, but you've also, and you're always looking for danger, but you've also chosen a profession or, you know, maybe you didn't, maybe this is what we we're talking about. Maybe you didn't choose it. It was uh, <laughs> it's, uh, cult, culture and personality traits and everything else. But you're, you're in a profession uh, where you, you've put yourself in, in extreme danger many times. Um, how does that sort out for you? 
Well, that's the thing. I mean, th- th- that's what makes no sense <laughs> because, yeah, so, 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 so it, it ends up with you worrying a lot and being scared a lot, but then sort of the worrying and being scared r- makes good copy on the page <laughs> you know it makes, for good, it makes for good story so so so, so yeah there's often times been in, in my career when i've put myself in dangerous situations but it's if, if i hadn't have been scared and worried in those situations and it, it would have been sort of fairly boring to read about and it, what was interesting was when i interviewed professor daniel nettle who's one of the big psychology guys was he before i told him what my personality type was he said most writers are high in neuroticism and also high in openness which is openness to experience they want to go out and experience the world they're interested in different ideas and that's exactly what what I am so that was the, that was the moment when I you know when you suddenly sort of I I believe this <laughs> I, believe, <laughs> I really believe what this guy's telling me now because he he he, he absolutely um kind of nailed me so so yeah you, there, there's a tension there between um the neuroticism and the openness but yeah. I, I think that's probably true of lots of writers well yeah so you have dramatic tension uh just built in, into your built it yeah <laughs> <laughs> you just express it and that's how you uh, do your thing yeah okay yeah. i feel better about myself too now thank you um <laughs> i really love this study it was by mark snyder and if you if you remember it uh i'd love to hear you talk about it but if not we can just kind of talk about it back and forth but it's the the men men thought they were talking to beautiful women uh and the people not only did they change the way that they oh yeah yeah but the people it, yeah. on the other end did too cuz which sort of illustrated the point if you could go through that uh, yeah, so this was a, a really great study by, as you say, by Professor Mark Snyder, and they they got um, fifty one guys, and they got them to speak to um, e- each one of them to speak to a woman via this intercom uh, system, and before they had the conversation. Um, uh, they were given a Polaroid uh, and said, this is the woman you're going to be um, speaking to. Now, obviously, you know how these studies work. The Polaroid was was, was nonsense. Um, the, the test was, was you know, would uh, the image on the Polaroid affect their impression of the, the, the conversation with the woman? And so when they an, an, analysed the conversations, they found that um, uh, if they had a Polaroid of a, of a really attractive woman, they found them much more kind of... Um, kind, likable, sociable. Um, uh, uh, so, so, so it really um, uh, altered their impression of who they were talking about. And, and this goes back to this one of these sort of ancient Greek ideas, which is still very dominant in our individual society, which is that um, beautiful people are good people. Are beautiful, mm. you can judge someone's uh, moral worth and personality on 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 the kind of the state of their kind of physical body. Uh, but the really interesting sort of thing thing about that was that was that. Um, the the women on the other other end of the phone actually started acting in that way. So the, the so so the the, the the kind of false belief that the the men kind of generated by looking at the Polaroid became real in in the, in the behaviour of the women. And again, this is just another sort of knocking the in, knocking the idea of this. There is this authentic self yeah. because we are constantly changing and altering our behavior and how we're acting um as the situation changes as the, yeah. as the environment that we're in is is changing and altering so we're becoming kind of different versions of us it was it was just the, the feedback loop was so crazy to me because they're these men are exhibiting different behavior because of what they've been told about their environment and then the women are changing their behavior to match the behavior of the men because they're seeing themselves through That's their true. eyes and then now the men are seeing themselves through the eyes of a woman who is different and is now we're building up to this uh um, yeah this sort of syncing up on on a, a lie it starts with a lie but yeah. the lie becomes the truth it, it is and I, and I think that's just a glimpse of how just the extraordinary degree to which 
people can be experiencing completely different versions of the same world. You know, you could be sitting next to somebody and their their personality, if you think about it, so, uh, you know, they find that extroverts genuinely do get, you know, extroverts, because they love company and they value um, other people and they value um, kind of experience and um, the value um, kind of experiences they will get invited to more parties than the, the non-introvert the non-extroverts and then when they're at those parties they'll get on with people much better so so, so, so you, your personality kind of creates and your behavior creates a whole different world for you to exist in you know you you've remembered we're hyper social animals mm-hmm. and, the, and the world in which we live is a world of people you know like so all animals are specialized for their particular environment you know dogs live in a world of smell and and that world of other people completely changes depending on how we are behaving and, and interacting with that world. And, and, and then how that world responds to us, as you say, then changes how we're behaving and interacting. And it creates this kind of massive feedback loop. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think we, you know, I think we really massively underestimate difference i think i think we we the, the, one of the kind of well-known bars is, is that we is, is is that we assume that other minds are exactly like ours you know we, we're constantly saying well i wouldn't have behaved like that so why should they behave like that and we we, we really find we, we imagine that we have these powers of empathy but i think it's almost impossible to to truly empathize with somebody it's almost impossible mm. to put yourself fully into somebody else's shoes because we People are so different from each other and they have such different experiences of, you know, life, the universe and everything mm-hmm. than other people do. And, it, and, it, and it's so hard to get even a sense of, of of what it truly is to be someone else. You know, the, the, that feedback loop can go in the other direction, as you mentioned, which was you say that in the book that the if people who think that they're talking to someone who isn't attractive or they think that they are lonely they treat them that way and then that person becomes lonely and there's, or they see themselves that way. And then you have that feedback loop, which goes in the other direction. Um, and so I, this leads me to a question and this is just speculation. This is just what you think. Um, and I, 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 I think about if you become aware of your personality type and you know that you are an introvert and that's creating more and more introverted situations, could you, I mean, does that open up the opportunity to, actively choose to behave as if you weren't the person that you really are personality wise and then get a different result out of life is then you know if you you say (laughs) fuck being authentic uh i am a complicated i contain multitudes and you know there's there's uh a parliament in my mind my personality is genetic um, I have primal urges that I cannot control. I must eat and I want to mate and have shelter. Mm. And then there's the looking glass self. And then there's also mm. every psychology book ever written. That's what I'm asking. Like we, doesn't this, doesn't that give you some ability to, to now actually escape the prison of this authentic yeah. self? Thing? So, so, so you can change your world without changing yourself. So, so, so one of the things I talk about at the very end of the book is, 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 is this idea of the lizard and the iceberg, right? So if you, see, if, you think, if you imagine a lizard on an iceberg, it's a really miserable lizard. It's a really unhappy lizard. But you take that same lizard and you put it in the desert. The lizard's delighted. It's the happiest lizard you've ever seen. So that, that, that lizard's world's you know, happiness levels <laughs> has completely changed, but nothing in that lizard has changed. Mm. So, you know, so we, we, we live in a, in a society, in a culture, that tells us that, that 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 we can change and we can be whoever we want to be, and 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 it tells us that that we have that power. You can do whatever you want to do, be whoever you want to be, and that's rubbish. You cannot be whoever you want to be. You cannot be Beyonce. You cannot be 
um, Michael Jordan. And so, the, but, so, so, uh, so I think the emphasis is wrong. The emphasis shouldn't be in you should change. The emphasis, the emphasis should be on you should change kind of the environment around you. Mm. And, and one, one crucial way of doing that, as you say, is actually understanding who you are. So, uh, you know, I, I think people should do that personality test. And since I did that personality test, when I first found out I was high in neuroticism and that this was a fairly stable personality trait, and there was nothing I could do about it. Of course, I was a bit depressed about that. <laughs> it was a bit, it's not a nice thing to find out. But it ended up becoming really liberating because the first thing that's liberating is that you know, I spent years thinking there was something wrong with me because I didn't particularly like parties and company. I didn't particularly have, you know, have many friends uh, or kind of value that kind of those relationships. Uh, uh, you know, and I'd watch television and think, well, I'm, this, I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. And I do yeah. feel guilty and kind of almost like disturbed by the whole thing. Cause it's like, what's wrong with me? And then you realize there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just, a, I'm just a certain kind of person. Yeah. Right. And so, 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 so that's really a nice feeling. You think, God, thank God I'm not broken. I'm just a certain kind of person. But the other thing it's done is because I found out that I'm, I'm um, neurotic, a bit neurotic and I found out I'm also I'm low in agreeableness. So, so, so that's not a nice combination because it means I can, you know, <laughs> sometimes I can, I can, I can just, I can, I, I completely without realizing it, um, I, I can just offend people and I don't really know I've done it. And um, having a wife is really useful for that. Or, you know, a wife who can say, you know, that you didn't deal with that very well. Yeah. And actually that bad thing just happened. That was really your fault. And I go, oh, is it? But, but, but understanding that and understanding um, kind of how it, being able to kind of observe yourself in that way and observe, yeah, I'm being disagreeable here, I'm being neurotic here. You're right. It, 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 you can never stop yourself doing those things completely because that's who you are. But you can have that level of knowingness where you can um, start trying to mitigate for those things. So, you know, you can walk into a, a difficult situation socially where there's lots of people who you don't know and that's uncomfortable knowing okay this is going to push all the wrong buttons so you're going to have to put your game face on and and so psychologists call this this idea of free traits you are we uh, uh, as limited as we are we are free to adopt traits we don't have we can act as if we are extroverted so we we, we can choose to do that uh, and having that knowledge then of course you, you then you're in a positive feedback loop where people are saying oh this person's actually really nice and uh, and so you can yeah, you can create a, a better social world for yourself to exist in. Um, but the but the first step is that a is is knowing that that you, that you are a certain kind of personality and knowing what those traits are and knowing then what your potential weaknesses and problems are going to be. Yeah. And, and I think the difference is because because it feels like you know, I'm talking about self, accepting yourself for who you are, accepting yourself with all your limitations and all your um problems um but that isn't but but, but that, that very easily slips into that kind of space where you're saying well that's just me deal with it tough if you, if you can't deal with me then you don't deserve <laughs> me you know all, all that stuff which is which is where it goes wrong and and, and my perspective is that is, is is just understanding that you're can you you're you're limited in particular and sometimes you're going to have to mitigate for that when you don't want to and other times inevitably you're going to get it wrong again and again and again and don't beat yourself up for that because that's who you are but at the same time do say sorry and do have a bit of humility and do have the kind of space within yourself to kind of reach out and say, ah, oh, I created that bad situation. I'm sorry about that. You know, it's not just, you know, like I'm talking about neurotics, but 
you know, our culture massively values value, uh, over you know values extroverts. Extroversion is is a really kind of uh, is a personality trait that our kind of very individualistic, atomized culture really values but you know it, it's it's no picnic necessarily being an extrovert either extroverts are, can be really annoying you know they they they, they, they can never stop talking they, they, they're they risk takers they're much more likely to have affairs and have casual sex and they're much more likely to die early because they've done something stupid so so every every personality type comes with it a, a, a series of benefits but also a series of potential problems and I, I just think it's really useful to know what your personality is because then you can you can start having a rational uh, take on okay this is me what are the things I'm likely to do wrong and how can I mitigate and when do I need to say sorry and understand that I've created this situation simply by being me <laughs> this is I'm telling you Will this is a tremendous to me because uh, I, I mean I um this concept of changing yourself, improving yourself to your own you know, self be true. There's so many different ways to look at it. And the, the, the prescription I've received for most of my life, even from academia has been, uh, cause I, I when I went to, when I was in, uh, uh, in school, I was at first, the first thing I did before I became a journalist was I was training to be a Rogerian therapist. <laughs> so, no, uh, yeah, to, yeah, yes, wow, wow. I was, I was already in the, like the higher level classes where we were doing, therapy back and forth, you know? Um, what? and that's like where I want to really got my, the bug for, uh, talking about psychology. And, um, um, so this notion, and this is something that's just prescriptive advice from Western and American and Southern, since I'm from the South and also mm-hmm. Rogerian, I have all these things hitting me at the same time <laughs> saying like, how do you become, how do you become, how do you like manifest the life you want to have or whatever? And it's always about, figure out, you know, who change yourself, but become this better version of you, the best version of you and all these things, um, really work, take a socket wrench to your insides and, you know, fix stuff and figure out what's broken and repair it. And this is, this, I think what's interesting to me is, 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 that, is that whenever people become kind of utopian in their ideas, whether it's to creating the perfect world or creating the perfect person, they always go to blank slate. Whether you're left wing or right wing, I don't care. You always end up when you go too far, you always end up in a blank slate place. And be, be, because it's it's so it's so um, alluring and it's so seductive that that, that 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 we can create kind of perfect people and perfect worlds. And, you know, you could, genes are real. Gen, it, it's it's true. a real thing. It's true. You know, you, you, you're you know, very you, tall. You people. And, and, and the stuff that isn't genetic, as I say, is most most of the rest of the work that gets done on, on who you are is happens in the early part of your life and it's it, it's it's kind of events and situations over which you have no control so yeah. you you can't take it as you say take a socket <laughs> wrench to yourself it, it's really about and, and i think the emphasis should be about on especially because you know we're living in this neoliberal highly individualistic kind of westernized kind of culture and so the the the, the 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 goal always seems to be to become wealthy and mm. to achieve stuff on the kind of economic level but but i think it's much much wiser to be encouraging people especially young people to find out who you are and then find this everyone there's a find that little corner of the world in which you can be sort of quite good at something I think that's what true happiness is. Yeah, even is if that thing isn't making you rich, it's just find that tiny, even if it's a weird thing like collecting 
pebbles i don't know whatever it is find find that little corner of the world which really attracts you and fills you with kind of joy and interest and gives you something that you can be quite good at because we all want we all want status we all want to be quite good at something and that's happiness you know and we can be happy not earning much money as long as we're quite good at the thing that we're doing and it's and it's the thing that we enjoy doing mm. that's the important thing and that wow. doesn't involve changing yourself at all that actually involves finding out who the hell you are and then following that path and i think the sooner the sooner that we can that, that, that we can do that the better and, and that's why i think it's actually quite damaging telling young people that they can do whatever they want to do and be whoever they want to be because if you tell young people that they all want to be Beyonce or Michael Jordan of course they do <laughs> you end up with some very lots of very disappointed people hmm. but it's so empowering to to say you know that's a charged word I should have chosen another one but there's a uh, to say um yeah but you can control you know you can find the others if that's what we're talking about you can find the the, the place as you were describing where you can be good at being yourself and use that self that you're dealing with to get something out of life or you can find the, the community or region where you're more likely to plug in. I mean, that is, you know, front ending, get knowing yourself and then on the back end using that uh, to create your environment the way you would, you know, Hack, yeah. hack into the forest and build a cabin. I like this a lot. It's it's uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh okay. Uh let me back off of that. You can find Selfie, How We Became So Self-Obsessed, wherever they trade money for books. And Will's next book is called The Science of Storytelling. And you can find him at willstore.com. That's S-T-O-R-R. And you can find him on Twitter. He tweets at W-S-T-O-R-R. That is it for this episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast. You can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode at youarenotsosmart.com. You can find show notes there. You can also find previous episodes there and at iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You can find You Are Not So Smart at Not Smart Blog on Twitter, and I am at David McCraney. Also, you can just find all the stuff that happens with You Are Not So Smart at the You Are Not So Smart Facebook page is just slash You Are Not So Smart. And if you would like to contribute to this project, this is a one-person operation, you can go to Patreon, patreon.com slash You Are Not So Smart. Pitching in at any amount will get you the show ad-free, but at the higher amounts, you can get things like shirts and books that are signed and all sorts of other stuff. Just check it out at patreon.com slash you are not so smart lots of really cool shows coming up in the future there's going to be a show about the elaboration likelihood model that's a persuasion technique there's going to be a show with dean burnett and his new book about the happy brain how the psychology stuff that we now know about happiness that replaces the old stuff that we used to know and i promise we have new logical fallacy episodes coming up i'm actually doing the crucial last interview this week okay See you soon.